0: Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians. We made a transition last week when we started talking about Ephesians chapter 4. Why is that? Because the first three chapters of the book we talked about are focused on what God's done for us. And when we get to chapter 4, all of a sudden there's a shift in how the Apostle Paul is writing the book, speaking to the the church in the area of Ephesus. Ephesus. And speaking to us as well, and he starts talking to us about how we need to arrange our lives or set our lives in order because of what he's done for us. That's why it starts out this passage with with chapter 4 with the word therefore, or in the NIV uh, translation that I'm using, it uses the word then. Um, He said, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, okay? So there's a transition that happens when we come to chapter 4. He's starting to talk about how we need to align our lives and things that God's put in place with regards to the body of Christ and how he intends for us to function. There's all kinds of good in here, and we, there's no way to walk through these passages and not feel like you're skipping rocks across a pond. When I say skipping rocks across a pond, I'm saying we could go really deep into this, but we're just having to hit some of the highlights, okay? Okay. Because you could sit here and have deep, ongoing discussions about all of these things. You could take a few books here, a few verses here and write books on them, okay? There's a lot of of deep truth. Well, let's start with verse 7 today, and my intention is for us to be able to make it through verse 13. And we will have to skip rocks across the pond, okay? I'd like to read through these verses, and then we'll come back and talk. Paul says in verse 7, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure Of the fullness of Christ. What a phrase to end with. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Before we go any further, let's bow our heads and and have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for your goodness. Thank you, dear Lord, that in your economy, in your purpose, and your plan that started with with, uh, creation, dear Lord, and even before that, Lord, in your plan and economy that would extend beyond when time is even relevant, your Lord, that you included us, that we have our place to fill in what you're accomplishing in this earth. God, I pray as we spend time in your word today that you would illuminate that word, your God. Make it come alive to us. Make it become bread to us, your God, so that we can consume it, be nourished by it, your Lord. It would strengthen and change our inmost being and God may our lives align with your purpose and plan. Give us wisdom and insight to live in accordance with your word. And God will give you the praise and glory for all that's done. It's in you and through you and by you Christ in us the hope of glory. And God will give you praise in Jesus name. Amen. So let's start off with verse 7. <clears throat> um you know my perfect scenario for how I would love to start this is that I, I, I envisioned in my mind, and I didn't have the time to do it. We had a busy day yesterday, but I thought I wish that I had a big picture of Jesus that I could have had mounted on boards, and so that we could display it up on the stage, so that we could all see what Jesus was like. You know, but if you go and you look at Hollywood eyes Jesus his hair color changes, his eye color changes, his countenance is different. Sometimes he's deeply Caucasian, where we know he wasn't Caucasian. He was from the Middle East, you know, um, and so that relevance is not really, is not really there, but I, I wish that we had the ability to see what Jesus is like, and my thought was that what I'd like to do is have that that uh, image of Jesus in sections that can be put together. And then I'd like to hand out a section of Jesus to different ones in the congregation and say, look, would y'all come up and, and put the pieces of the puzzle together for us so that we can see what Jesus is really like? Because that, to me, is what God has done with his body. His intention is that each one of us has an encounter, and experience, a a, a different walk that we're walking out. We're reading different parts of God's Word and coming to a revelation and understanding of what He's like. And it's when we come together and there's a a corporate expression of what we've learned about God that we get a broader understanding of what He's really like. Um, Have y'all ever, I'm sure you have because it's been around for a long time, but y'all have heard about the the blind or blindfold men that were all asked to describe what the elephant's like you all remember that so they bring them up to the elephant and look i've been around elephants i don't know how they got the elephant to stand still but they they bring them up to the elephant and one person comes up and he gets a hold of a trunk and he's feeling that that trunk and he said that uh, the elephant's like a like a, a a vine and, uh, and then another one comes up and feels the side of the elephant. And he's rubbing the side of the elephant with his eyes closed. No, the elephant's like a wall. And another one comes and he walks up to the leg of the elephant and he feels this huge leg and he wraps it around and he's feeling, it. I don't know if he wrapped around it. I put that in there myself. But he, uh, he felt, that he's, a, he's a leg hugger for the tree hugger. Um, but he come up and he said, no, no, the elephant's like a tree, you know, it's like a trunk. And another one comes up and gets a hold of the tail and and uh, I don't know, he describes it as a snake or something, I don't know. But the point of the story is that everyone had their own experience. Every one of their experiences was real, but based on what they were touching or feeling or experienced, a, 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 it was the canopy of all of those things together that gave an expression of what, what God is. Now, God's provided us his word, so we all have access to the testimony of scripture and as we spend more time in god's word our picture and understanding of what god's light broadens and we get to have a deeper uh, experience of the lord we know who he is and and god did an amazing job in his word of uh defining who he is and giving names that described aspects of his character that he intends for us to be able to experience as we live out our walk with him This passage that we are going to be spending time with today emphasized to me uh, afresh how important it is that as believers, as people that have a relationship with God, and those that are here on the earth to be representing him to the world, folks, we need to know God's word. We need to be spending time in God's Word, reading God's Word, listening to God's Word. Please, I want to encourage you, I exhort you, as Paul would say, to take the time to know what God's Word tells us. There's important things in there. There there are are things that are floating around, around out there in our culture, in our society, that talk about God in this way or that way. And more and more, because the the initial foundations of Christian faith that were once pervasive in our our culture, um, the initial foundations have become eroded or, or may not even have been ever put into the lives of the people coming up. What's happening is that philosophy and culture and the The uh, uh, mix of religions that are out there are starting to become blended in people's minds. And a lot of people, even good-intentioned Christians, can't tell the difference between what's philosophy and what is maybe a mix from another culture. And it has nothing to do with what God's Word says about us. There are words that are common in our in our culture right now or in our society right now that are, are just a part of our vernacular like the word karma and it has nothing to do with God's Word our Christian equivalent should be grace what does karma say it's a Hindu uh, concept that you will get whatever you deserve and, and we understand that the Scripture says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and, and things like that, that that was what uh, the, the initial justice uh, pattern was. But I want to tell you there's a better word, and that word is grace. I can tell you I have received a lot better than what I deserved. I thank the Lord that when, when we mess up, that there's grace that we can run to. So just as an example, there's things right here, even in the passages that I'm going to be reading today, that our, our people springboard from and teach some things that, that you really don't see um, um, validated through the rest of Scripture. And so I think it's really dangerous. We need to make sure that we, we know God's Word so we don't get tripped up by what even is a, how can I say, a cliquish um, doctrine or a, a faddish doctrine. So, everybody's on alert now. What in the world is he talking about? Let's start out with verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, different translations say it a different way. This is the NIV. But it says, to each one of us, grace has been given. And I just want to say that the word grace here is charis. But in the context of this verse, it's not talking just about saving grace. Some of the other translations translate it uh, a bit better here, and that is where it talks about gifts. The, the word here for grace is literally a gift. Now, let me define grace deeper because I know, and, and I've said done this before, but in our understanding, grace can truly be said to be unmerited favor. It's, we, it's, we're not getting what we deserve. We're getting what God is choosing to give to us. And God is blessing us. He's giving us grace. But grace for the believer is much more than that. It's not just about being being free from our sin. It's not just about not having to bear the penalties that come from our sinfulness. Grace is also, the the, word grace is used for gifts that God gives, the charismata, the gifts of grace. Grace is also about the equipping that comes along, that God gives us the resources that we need to be able to live the life that He's called us to live and to give us the strength to be able to do the supernatural things that He calls us to do. So grace is not just unmerited favor, but it is also the equipment that's needed to be able to live this life. We're not left to our own means and our own abilities. We've been given gifts. We've been given grace to be able to live as believers. Amen? I'm excited about that. And it says here that Christ is the one that measured these things out. Christ is the one who gave these gifts to us. Let me tell you, rather than this is necessarily saying that, that uh, Sherry's got a, a certain amount of grace and Audrey's got a different amount of grace or something like that, it's not necessarily talking about portions being great or small. What it's saying is that God gave you just enough. He measured out to you what you need to be able to live your life. So God measured it out. He apportioned it to us. God provided for us what's needed for life. You're not going to find yourself lacking on the resources that you need to live the life that is presented to you. If you, Let me tell you, if God puts something in your heart and you need to go charging across the world to some kind of place, there's grace sufficient to be able to help you do what you need to do there. If you're uh, going and, and, and uh, ministering to people in the nursing home. There is grace uh, uh, appointed to you. There is sufficient grace for you to be able to do what it is that God called you to do. God's not going to tell you to go out there and give you a ditch and then, and then give you a spoon to be able to go dig the ditch with. He will provide the resources necessary to get the job done. So God's grace and God's gifting, along with that, there is an, a, a sufficient amount or or a portion uh, given to you to be able to do that. Then it comes back and it says, th- says this. It says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. So let's pause right there. What's it talking about when he ascended on high? And he spends a little bit of time going into that. We'll... When Jesus came and he died, it's very interesting that... that um, if you talk about Jesus to people out there in the world, most people um, would recognize Jesus as a great teacher, that he was a kind person that did good to people, and that he was a philosopher and teacher, and some people would stop there. And, but there is, there is a, a turning point in the understanding of who Jesus is when you accept the fact that not only did he die, but he was resurrected. And it's crucial to the the Christian faith that we make sure that that stays as a vital part of our our belief system, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Anybody who tries to deny that or say that that's just fictitious or fairy tale or something like that, they're they're pulling the heart out of our faith. It's vital for us that we understand Jesus was raised from the dead. Let me just tell you, it's not just a a one-song kind of thing that You know, he appeared to a few people right after he was resurrected and then he was gone. If you look at historically from God's word, and and we know this, I'm just reminding us, okay? But we know this, that Jesus didn't just one time appear to people and then he was gone. It wasn't just the rock rolling away and the light shining and him walking out and then all of a sudden he's gone. Scripture says for 40 days... He walked around on this earth that people saw him and heard him and that people were able to physically touch him. It wasn't just a ghostly form. It was a glorified body. There were still representations of the, the, where the, the, the uh, nails had gone through his, his arm and where his sword had pierced his side. They were to, to touch those areas. And it wasn't a gory thing. It was a resurrected body. But he was physically here, okay? Okay a physical body that they could touch, and that he was able to sit down and eat with them and walk down the road with them and have conversation. I mean, that needs to be cemented in in our minds. It needs to stay in our minds. It wasn't just a wispy kind of apparition of of a visitation. It was a physical Jesus who had been resurrected from the dead. But after he was resurrected, he also ascended. He went up into heaven. Can I just say something that's a blessing to me? Okay, the Word says that there is only one who really has the right to judge. There's only one who's lived on this earth a sinful life. There's only one who has the ability to really compare his life to us. Did I mess up something? Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay, Jesus lived a sinless life, okay? Just to clarify, that ought to be great on the tape or on the the recording. (laughs) Did you hear what that pastor said? (laughs) To clarify, Jesus lived a sinless life. There's only one who lived a sinless life, right? And therefore, he's the only one who, who has the ability to compare his life to ours and to be able to point a finger and judge and say, look, they messed up. Scripture says that he's been appointed as judge. But isn't it beautiful also to know that that judge died for us, was resurrected, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places and says that he's been made our advocate. He's our high priest. He's the one that is beseeching the Father on our behalf. The one who should be our judge, the the one who should be the judge, The uh, prosecuting attorney is our defense lawyer. He paid the price that we were responsible for. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay. So the one that could be bringing accusation against us is there fighting for our freedom and fighting for our defense and speaking to a loving Heavenly Father. It says that he led captives in his train. We were captives. Those righteous ones that had died and were being held without a place to go, he led them in his train. What a company. Just think of those old saints in the Old Testament who lived out their lives based on promise and based on faith they didn't have salvation available to them yet but they had an encounter with the Lord and God walked with them and talked with them Moses face to face Abraham Abraham I want you to leave this place that you know and that you're familiar with where everything's already been established and everything's already comfortable I want you to leave this place and and go to a place that you've never seen before leave your family I just get up and go And by the way, it's going to be a land that I'm going to give to your descendants, but you will never possess it yourself. But I just want you to get up and go. How many would sign up for that journey? What if God told you, look, I just want you to go out to the Midwest. Uh, it's, It's going to be out there. It's going to be a broad expanse. And spend the rest of your life wandering around and living in tents. Just walk with me i'll make sure that there's provision there for you when you need it just go walk with me how many of us would sign up for that kind of journey but all these that followed the lord the prophets and david and all of those who had served the lord and been faithful to the lord and walked in the wisdom and the and the light that they had but they did not have jesus died and resurrected yet jesus was able to go and be with them and be able to communicate with them And said he led led captivity captive and gave gifts to men it says in verse 9 what does he descend, ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth let me let me pause right there and uh... spend a little time with this he descended into the lower regions of the earth so i just want to spend some time this, this passage is interpreted in, in various different ways, and people preach from it. And, and I just, can, can I communicate something? And this may be one of those things that people want to have a, come and have a conversation with me about. And so we'll have the door open. But the Scripture, even though it's, it's taught and there are teachings out there, the Scripture does not say that Jesus descended into hell, the place of punishment, and that Jesus suffered for our sins in the place of punishment. There, there, the scripture does talk about him descending into the depths, and it does talk about him descend and where it uses the term hell in any kind of relationship to that, it's actually talking about the place of the departed dead. But it's not talking about the place of punishment. The uh, the translators, when they were translating the words, they used the words that were common to them. The word hell was one of those common words. But really, in, if you look in the Old Testament, there's a word sheol that's used for the place of the dead. It's not the place of punishment. In the New Testament, there are different words that are used. There's the, the book, the, the word Hades that is used, which again is a common in the culture word that was used to describe a place of the dead. But, the, but Scripture talks to us about a, even a place where the dead go, and then there would be a place of punishment that later when there's been the, uh, the white throne judgment, when the judgment is done and there's a separation of those that are sheep and the goats, that then it says even death itself and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire, which is a place of punishment. So what am I referencing to? There are, there are teachings out there that talk about Jesus going and suffering in hell. The Bible does not say that. So if you... Find a scripture. To the contrary, feel free. Let's have the discussion. If there's a question, you've heard somebody else that you love teaching this, go back and dig some more and look at it, and let's ground ourselves in truth, okay? That's why I just want to emphasize again, it's vital that we read God's Word for ourselves. Be those Berean Christians that know God's Word. Don't just soak up everything that everybody says. Get back in there and read it for yourself. Jesus did not get condemned to the place of of suffering. Jesus did not get condemned to the lake of fire in that interim time. He went down to share the revelation and the truth and the grace that he was bringing to those who were the departed saints. And then he led captivity captive. Amen? And now scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Why? Because he brought hope to us. So verse 10, he who descended is the one who also, and can I just step back? This earthly regions right here, there are scriptures that talk about him descending to the depths. This scripture right here where it says to the earthly regions or the lower regions of the earth is not even 100% lock in step that what it's talking about here is him descending into the place of the dead. This could actually be a reference to Uh, the lower regions of the earth, not necessarily below the earth. It could just be that it's referencing about Jesus being humbled from his place of exaltation in heaven and coming to walk like us in the earth. It it follows thematically close to what you find in in Philippians chapter 2 when it talks about Jesus being humble and coming and living like us on the earth. So this text in itself would not be, I'm going to bore you with the detail, This text right here is not necessarily that proof text that you want to use if you're going to talk about Jesus descending down to talk to those those who have passed on. You can go to 1 Peter 3, 19, I think is another scripture, 18 and 19. There's other verses that that talk about this, but some people will take this passage and talk about Jesus descending into the depths of the earth, and he went down there, and he he suffered on our behalf down there. Look, when Jesus hung on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. finished. He had paid the price. There was no need for him to continue suffering. All right, moving along. (laughs) Verse 10. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Can I just say something? And you can look through, and, and in the book of Ephesians, more than one time it talks about the heavens and talks about, about the ab- above every throne and authority and principality and power. And, you know, in the ancient culture, they didn't have the benefit. Well, I just took off my glass. Um, they didn't have the benefit of the telescopes that we have and the Hubble telescope. I love those images from space. And this vast universe that God created for us that I'm not supposed to be talking about right now, it's just amazing, folks. But they had this, this almost a two-dimensional picture of the universe. I mean, they had amazing understanding for their day, but they were looking up there and seeing the stars, you know, and they kind of mapped out the stars, and, you know, there were stargazers and people that read the signs in the skies, and they uh, even assigned uh, deity in the culture of the day to, to certain... Um, um, Celestial bodies or groupings of stars. You know, we we're familiar in our culture with the zodiac, but what's the the astrology and things like that where they would worship things? And a lot of times they would look at stars or, or formations of stars and they would see it in relationship to gods or bring honor to gods like that. And even when the writers talk about him ascending far above. They're talking not necessarily positionally as to where God went, but his authority and his place, that God's that Jesus' authority and place went far beyond anything that ever was. Paul's writing to a culture where they were familiar with astrology and things like that in their culture. Now it was not a part of Jewish culture that they would worship the stars and worship those gods like that, that that uh panacea of gods. But 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 Jesus, when he ascended. He showed himself to be far beyond anything else that was out there and anything else that could be worshipped. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than than all the heavens, everything that's up there, in order to fill the whole universe. So he's saying that Jesus, when he ascended, showed that he is greater than any type of God or power or authority or or spiritual force or anything like that that might be out there in the world. We're in the universe. He ascended on high. And we know that when Jesus left, he had burst a move. He had burst a movement. He had established a kingdom in the earth. And he had, 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 had begun a big transition of what was going on in the earth. Jesus told his disciples that it was important that he leave, it was necessary. It was vitally important that Jesus leave so that the promise could come. Who's the promise? The Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit an experience? Is the Holy Spirit an experience? He is a person. He's a a person that we have experiences with. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is more than just an experience. There's a lot of churches and denominations and things like that that talk about the Holy Spirit as though he's just an encounter or an event. He's so much more than that. He's come to live with us, to dwell inside us, that we become a tabernacle for him to dwell in. Just like in the Old Testament, they had the Holy of Holies, and God's presence came there and, and rested in that place. God's desire all along was was to dwell among his people. And so to equip us to live this life for him, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in me and to dwell in you and to dwell in you and to live with you and to give you guidance and direction and to be that gift so that you've got the tools that you need to be able to do the the, uh, exploits that God's calling you to do. I love that, exploits. Let's do exploits for the Lord. But it also says that he gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. I'd like to take a little bit of time with this. I know that, you know, if you've grown up in a charismatic Pentecostal type of background, uh, you've been very familiar with what, what's called the fivefold fold uh, ministry. Gifts, can I just say something? Because culturally it's become a little bit different. And these functions in the body of Christ are not, these giftings in the body of Christ are not titles. So you just don't go and say, that's apostle so-and-so, or that's prophet so-and-so. or that's, That's not what God's intent is here. It's not that you it's a gifting it's a function not a title i was in a a luncheon meeting with with some people and and can i just uh, be nice david be nice we'd been invited there one of my friends was going to be speaking for the day and we started out at the one end of the room and they said we want you to introduce yourselves and it started out i'm I'm Pastor So and So, you know, from this church, and my ministry is this. And and then the next person said, Well, I'm I'm Prophet So and So from this. And, and then it came to the next one and said, Well, I'm Apostle So and So, and this is Prophet So and So, and and our ministry is here, and we're you know pioneering a church here and everything. And then it kept kept working around the room, and and you know I was in this this journey that was. God was stripping away a whole lot of things and uh, I'm not saying that to say I had everything right I'm just gonna say where I was God was redefining me and and when they came to me I didn't have a title I didn't have a, you know all this kind of stuff and all these titles have been around the room I said oh, I, I'm David <laughs> and uh, I may have said just a little something but then it kept on going and it worked around the room and it, as it continued it seemed like it was just accelerating to where we got to the end of the room the last person to speak speak, said, well, I'm Archbishop so-and-so of this so-and-so, and he said, and our, our we trace the roots of our denomination back beyond uh, uh, beyond Peter, and I'm like, oh, my God, okay, so they went, you know, but it, they, you understand what I'm saying? It became this accelerating competition of titles and self-exaltation and, you know, promoting oneself, and I'm going to tell you, it just made a, like a sick place right there on the inside. I'm like, what are we doing here? and i was had a uh, a buddy of mine with a, a prophetic gifting sitting behind me and i heard a groan from behind me and i turned around and and he was sitting there and he had his head down he was going oh oh <laughs> and knowing what was going on i said hey i said you got to say something he's like no i don't want to do it i said you got to you got to be obedient to the lord he said i want to and uh so finally our friend who was speaking that day said, uh, this was at the, end of his, at the end of his, after he had spoken, he said, does anybody have something they feel like they need to share? And I did the elbow, and uh, my, my buddy got up there, and he said, look, he said, I just want to tell you, he said, uh, I heard when everybody introduced themselves today, he said, and the Lord just prompted me that, the Lord wanted me to come and tell you that the Lord is not impressed with your title. And he said, and he wants to remind you that it's not your ministry, it's his. And uh, I mean, it was, and the, one of the hosts got up there and tried to completely deflect what had just been said. I mean, there was more to it, but it really wasn't just a negative. It was really uplifting. And uh, I just gave you the weighty part of it. But the one of the hosts got up there and tried to deflect that word, and then the guy who spoke got up and said, No, he said, This is God's word to us. We need to hear this. It's his ministry, it's his calling, it's his place. We don't need to try to be the big eyes and the, you know, and the little used type of thing. We need to recognize that as ministers of the gospel, we're called to walk together with his people. Now, let me just come back to the Scripture here. What he's talking about, there are gifts that are given in the body of Christ, but they're gifts to function. It's not the gift of having a title. And just because you're given a gift to accomplish a function doesn't mean that you necessarily have the office. Okay? There may be people right here that God's given gifts and abilities and functions that God's intending for you to walk these things out. But somebody may not have recognized you and given you the office. They may not have set you in place in that office or said, we recognize the gift that God has called you to. Would you function in our scope? And you would you extend what you're doing here? And that doesn't mean that God in any way is denying you. It may be that men are blind and are not recognizing what God put inside of you. It may need to mean that you need to step up and say, I feel like God's called me to this. You know, how can I serve? And may I just emphasize that word? Giftings and callings of the Lord are about service, not exaltation. So let's make a distinction here. Giftings come from the Lord. God puts something in the heart of someone that they need to do something or that they should do something or they are passionate about a certain area of, of God's body and there's a gifting that goes along with that. Just because somebody has that gifting and calling does not mean that they necessarily have yet been given an office to function in. That doesn't mean that God is denying them. It may be that mankind is blind and not recognizing that office or that, 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 that gifting, okay? Just because somebody has an office and has a title does not mean that they have the gifting for it. Did you get that? There are people who have titles that do not have the gift. Politics can give you a title. The people that you know can give you the title. I was going to say something, but that just sounds like meddling. Okay, I'm going to meddle. Money can get you a title. You know, you can go and buy your ordination and go marry people, and it not be a spiritual thing. They, they just, they'll sell you ordination papers. You don't have to work for it. Just go buy it. Just because you have a title doesn't mean you have the gifting. If you have the gifting, let me just stir you up and say, would you please function? Would you get out there and do the work of the Lord? You don't have to wait to be recognized by people to do what God's called you to do. You don't have to wait for a title to be stuck over your door or something like that to, to do the work that God's called you to do. Because if you've got a gifting and a calling in your life, there's something burning on the inside of you that won't be satisfied. You may ignore it. You may run away from it. You may distance yourself and say, I'm not willing to go there. But you will never be satisfied until you're walking it out. Scripture says the gifts and calling of the Lord are without repentance. How about that? That means God looked through his special telescope that pierces beyond time and space. You know, someone could look at a telescope from somewhere, space station, and look at our property right here and see all the buildings that are on this property. You know, I've gone and looked at some of the maps, Pastor Eric. There's things out there where you can see where this building wasn't here yet, you know, or that building wasn't there yet, and you can just see the, the bare ground. And our, our vision is limited to time, but God can look at our life, and he can look where you are right now. And you can look at your life and say, but I'm not worthy of that. I, I don't have all the tools, and I don't have all the experience that other people do. I don't know all the things, but God can look at you with his telescope that looks beyond time. And see, I see where you are, but I see beyond where you are, and I see what God can accomplish, what I can accomplish through you. So God gifts somebody with an ability, even though their present status in life may not look like it's warranted, but God knows what he can accomplish if they'll just yield themselves to you. But folks, there are gifts. There there are people walking around right now that God called And they said, no. There's people walking around right now that God gave giftings to, and they said, I'm too busy. My agenda is more important than your agenda. I'm not willing, it will cost me too much. The price is too high. There's people out there that have grabbed, they've grabbed for titles and recognition, but the gifting's not there. The motive is wrong. And there's people who've got gifting and title and are using it for their own gain instead of for the kingdom. Well, aren't we excited? But here's the thing, and let's bring this back to the reminder. Okay, God, it says, it is He, understand, it is He. It is the Lord It was God's intention, so there's good in it. It may be misused, mislabeled. It may be framed in the wrong kind of way. There may be wrong motives. There may be things that are mixed up and wrong. But let me tell you, Jesus still intentionally put these gifts in the earth because he sees good in it, and there will be good accomplished through it. Let's make sure that our hearts are in the right place. It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists and teachers, I'm sorry, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service or for the work of the ministry. So I'm going to step back just a little bit, okay? Go back to that verse. God intentionally put these gifts in the earth. Why? To equip his saints to prepare people for works of ministry. We need to define these gifts just a little bit. Oh, we're running out of time. Okay. Apostles. Prophets, evangelists, and then it says pastors and teachers. So how do we define these gifts? Okay, we can sit here at number one. Let me just state this. There are people that say there are no no longer any apostles because there were only 12. There were 12 apostles. We'll put a capital A in front of that, apostles, okay, and say, yes, Jesus had 12 that he chose one fell one was put back in place so there were 12 apostles and god used them to be early fathers over the church to propagate god's you know we've got the history of peter and 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 paul and what they did for the most part from acts and beyond but we don't have the stories of the other apostles right here and where they went james i mean that was short but we don't have the stories of all the other apostles. But there are stories of the other apostles and where they went. Did you know that, that? Uh, oh my goodness, Thomas? His name's left, left me for a little bit. But Thomas went out and went as far as, uh, the 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 history says he went as far as, as India taking the gospel. There are still Christians in India today that trace their roots back to the Apostle Thomas going that way. There are apostles that went to different areas that we don't necessarily have this this. Uh, it, it doesn't record everything that happened, but the apostles spread out and went to def- different areas. Some stayed closer to Jerusalem, but the apostles functioned in their day. They did the work of the Lord for their day. But there are still apostles in the earth today, and and how. How can we define an apostle so, so that we don't have any confusion? We're not talking about a title, okay? We're talking about a function in the body of Christ. And there are people who would define things differently. I've heard various different teachings in different kind of ways. My, the, a, a core to the understanding of the word apostle is a sent one, okay? My understanding of an apostolic gifting or apostolic anointing is someone who God commissions to go to areas to be able to share God's gospel with people so that they will come to know the Lord or also sends them to places so that they can help to give guidance and direction to the body of Christ. Look at the what is exemplified in God's scripture with Paul's writings, how he went out there and he ministered to people in places, he shared the gospel and broke new ground, but he also provided oversight and, and, and a watchfulness over the body of Christ. Uh, to me, systemic in the understanding of an apostolic ministry is that the scope of ministry tends to be a broader scope. It, it is looking at the overview of what God's doing in his body and, and helping to... To guide that body to the fulfillment of what God intends to happen It's not just about one church or one church family. Do you get that? It's a broader scope. It's it's a broader reach in the body of Christ Um, ah, My goodness gracious You know what i'd love to do right here. I would love to just No, i'm not going to do it I was going to call people up and say look would you just share your definition of What what that is? They're prophets in the body of Christ. Prophets bring encouragement, uh, exhortation, they lift us up, they help. To me, it's almost like a, in a way, y'all may not like this, but I like this. To me, God uses prophets. I need to make a distinction. There's a difference between a word of prophecy, which means that you've got something to say to somebody to encourage them to lift them up, to help bring correction or straighten something out. But That that may be a word. It's not necessarily a function. That's not where you live your life or that's not what your calling is to the body of Christ. It may be a moment. God can use any of us to bring a word of prophecy to someone, okay? Uh, Outside of that, there's also a motivational gift of prophecy. This is getting a whole lot deeper. It always does when we come to prophecy because it's, it's, it's not well understood. But motivational gift of prophecy tends to be someone that sees things very black and white. It's right and wrong. They see it very clearly, distinctly, and they're, they're I don't mean this in the wrong way, but they're almost compulsive about telling people. They are driven to tell people when they see that they're getting into error. Okay? They have to set the record straight. Um, and then there's this, what we're talking about today, which is the five-fold ministry or the, the, the function in the body of Christ of a prophet. T- t- just to... To try to define the way I see the prophet, to me, a prophet's kind of like a chiropractor. They, in, their intention is to see people live the best life possible. And they may recognize when something's out of a line in somebody's life, and they try to bring a word of encouragement or strength or set people back in, in place the way they should be so they can fulfill the life that God called them to be to, to live without the things that are bringing pain and discomfort and difficulty, and God also uses prophets to to speak into people's lives to give them direction and understanding about what's what's to come. So here's a benchmark for any word that somebody brings to you. Make sure that the word that somebody brings to you lines up with what God's Spirit has put in your heart. Um, People will use quote, a word from the Lord, sometimes to try to control somebody's life, to manipulate and control. Make sure that there's a confirmation, or inner witness from the Spirit, and, and don't just be taken off by somebody that may be strongly influential. Okay. Uh, yeah, I could have called out names for people in our body that I would have called up to come and share on these things because I recognize giftings in your lives, and I, <laughs> part of me is just burning up that I'm not taking the opportunity to do that. But uh, I know that we're short on time. So the other one is uh, a gift of evangelism. Does anybody know anybody who's just really passionate about sharing the faith with people? That that's just a core? I could name people. But that's, uh, it should be something that we all have a passion about. My goodness, if we have been blessed with this hope and blessed with this life, we should share it with people. But some people are just driven and they see that everybody needs to share. And hopefully they stir us up because that gift inside of them encourages us to share our faith. Right, Chris? And uh, there's a gifting inside of there that, that stirs us to be able to, to, uh, to reach the lost and, and wants it to be a core part of what the body is doing. It's vital to us. Why? Because it keeps us on track. It keeps us from just coming to the house and getting a good word and going home and forgetting about the people that have a need, right? So we need these gifts in the body. And then the next one, and there's, I'll just touch on it just a little bit, but when it comes down to and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, there is a distinction here that I will touch on because there's some controversy, and it's, it's, to me it's, it's a bit overblown if you really take a broader scope on it but when you look at at these different areas that are mentioned apostle prophet evangelist pastor and teacher if you look at those things together some people say there's not really supposed to be fivefold it's just fourfold but if you there is a distinction in how it's written in the greek when you go back in there if you look in this translation it says some to be a pro, some to be apostles some to be prophets some to be evangelists some to be pastors and it doesn't say, some to be evangelists. It says, some to be pastors and, ev- uh, 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 pastors and teachers. I'm sorry. So some people say that pastor-teacher is, is one gift. Okay. I, I'm not concerned one way or the other in how you see that. I don't, I don't think there has to be a conflict with that. I don't think we need to make that too weighty a distinction. Let's talk about pastors to begin with. What is a pastor's gifting I'm not talking about a pastor's title, okay? Again, that same thing with regards to pastors and titles and gifting and function and all. There are people that may have a pastoral gifting that are not in the office of a pastor, but they are still pastoring and men- mentoring and ministering to people and, and helping to shepherd people and help to be a blessing to people. They're nurturing people that are around them, but they may not have a title. Nobody may have given them an office to stand in. There's people who are pastoring that don't necessarily have the gift of a pastor. Okay? So just because you have a title doesn't mean you've got the gifting. The gifting may be different. So what is the nature of a pastor? It's so simple when you look at it. The nature of the pastor, the originally the, the, the word pastor is literally the word shepherd. Your concern is for sheep. You're looking out for the well-being of a flock. It may be your household. It may be your group of friends. It may be a congregation. But your concern is for the well-being. You want to see that they're nourished. You want to make sure that there's no wolves coming in and attacking them. You're protective of them. And so a pastor's intent is to be there to make sure for the well-being of the flock. If you see someone bringing harm, you speak to it. If you see someone that's that's got a need, you reach out or make sure that their needs are being met. And you you work together to nurture the well-being of a flock, whether it's your household or or wherever God has you working, the circle that God's put around that, you nurture that flock. (laughs) There's was one other aspect of that that's that's slipping my mind, but I just oh I, I know another thing. Uh, someone with a pastoral, and people may make distinction in this, but I'm, I'm I'm gonna say it since I've got the microphone. To to me, a lot of times a pastoral, and this may be where you see the difference in another kind of gifting blending in there, but a pastoral gifting is more localized rather than necessary. You know, you're you you. Concern about your household is right there. You're not necessarily so focused outside and beyond. So, in my understanding of pastoral ministry, it tends to be more localized. Okay, the last one being a teacher. What's a teacher about? That teacher gifting causes someone to be passionate about study. They want to dig into the Word, they are passionate then about taking what they have received, what they have gleaned from the throne of the Lord. And sharing it with other people there are also truth tellers in that they want what they teach to be lined up and right there's a lot of people that have the gift but don't necessarily have a place to function there's a lot of people that have gifts and don't necessarily have an office they haven't been given the title no one's recognized those gifts and I'm gonna tell you folks overall in the body of christ we have way missed it on recognizing the gifts that god has put inside of us we've also way uh, way missed it when it comes that's not even good good english but i'm using it we have missed it by a long shot (laughs) when it comes to just assigning titles for people and thinking that just because people have got a title they can function in that area so what can i say lord help us to get better at this Help us to recognize those that you put among us. Help us, if you've got a gifting in the Lord, stand up in what God's given you. Even if you're not recognized, don't be afraid to say, look, I feel like I need to be involved in this. Come talk to us. I wish that I had spiritual eyes for everybody in, in this place, but I can't tell you that I can be at 100% focused on everything that you got in your heart. Okay? The body of Christ is missing something if we're not functioning in the gifting that God gave us because it says that he gave these gifts to prepare God's people for works of service. There are ministries that need to be accomplished, and we need not just... Our focus in the body of Christ has been on these gifts or on the titles or on those who are in the offices when really God's focus is... These offices or these gifts, these functions Nurturing the body of Christ So the body of Christ can accomplish the work of ministry Amen So that we can accomplish the work of the ministry There's more to this passage that we haven't covered But I'm not going to go any further today I think our tanks are full I haven't really seen anybody falling out of sleep So I appreciate that (laughs) That's always good And then I just know that sometimes people just need their rest, so I'm not concerned about that. But hey, let's recognize the body of Christ. Folks, God's got some things that he wants to accomplish. How much better when we all work together to do that? When we recognize what they have. There's gifts in this place. I've closed my eyes so I'm not looking at people. There's gifts in this place that God in his foreknowledge put them inside of you because he looked through time and he saw what he could accomplish through you. Will you be willing to be used by the Lord to do what he desires? There's not one person in this place that can say, I'm glad that shoe's on somebody else's foot. Because we may all have different places and different callings and different giftings, but every one of us has a place in God's body. I came here today and brought my pinky. Even though I may not need to use it just by itself today, but I didn't leave it behind because it's got a purpose in my body. I can hear just fine with my right ear, but I brought my left ear too. You know? Every one of us is vital to God's kingdom. I want to encourage you to rise up, rise up, be encouraged in the Lord, and let's walk together and discover what God can do through us. I, I will just, I will glow, I'll radiate, I'll be ex- so excited in your discovery and seeing you grow up and, and discover what God can accomplish through you. And I need to stop there, but can we stand together? Ah. <sighs> Lord, isn't it interesting the fact that our enemy is so intent on breaking us down and telling us we can't and, and manipulating us and making us feel little and small and insignificant that we really don't matter? There's some people here in this place, that I don't doubt even this week have waged a war where the enemy was telling them to take their life because they're not worth it. But yet that whole script that he attacks us with is so different to what you speak about us, that you gave gifts to us, your God, that you've called us to be your own, that you call us more than overcomers, your God. You said that we're conquerors and you've made us ambassadors for you, that you've given us a ministry of reconciliation to restore mankind back to relationship with you. And what you speak over is so vastly different, your Lord, to what all of our experience has been in life. And God, yet the enemy tries to hold us down, to button us up, to squash us back, and to keep us from being able to live out what you've called us to do. I beg to differ, dear God. I stand against that with all the weight of, any, of the gifting that you put in my life, dear Lord. Rise up, arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. There'll be a day when the nations will come because because they see the shining of the glory of the Lord, and they'll come hungry to know what can we do, how can we walk this out, give us understanding and instruction into the ways of the Lord so that we can be blessed the way you're blessed, so that we can see the things that you see, so that we can experience the healing that you're experiencing, so that we can walk the way that you're walking. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Lord, would you stir this body, your God, and your body around the world? God, would you begin to, to awaken those that have been slumbering, your God? Lift up your heads. Awaken. Lord, stir the gifts of the inside, your Lord. May they burn on the inside in such a way that we can't be quiet anymore. Dear God, we have got to begin to do what you've called us to do and be the people that you've called us to be. Lord, that we would knit ourselves together and not allow the enemy to sow seeds of discord or bitterness or anything like that to separate us from our brothers and sisters, your Lord, but that we would join together with a heart of love, unified by the Spirit of Christ. And God, that we would accomplish the purposes that you've given us to accomplish in the earth. And you be glorified, Lord. We're going to stand with that throng in the heavenlies and say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy to be praised and praised and honored to receive glory and praise. Bless your name, Lord God. Jesus, we count ourselves in that number. We count ourselves a part of that people that you've called to work in the earth to do exploits in your name. And God, we give you glory. Lord, let the mantle of your presence rest upon each one here in this place. Distract us, dear God, from the busyness of life and draw us into your presence, dear God. Help us to have encounters that will truly bring transformation to our lives, your God, and the lives of the people that we come in contact with. And we speak this in Jesus' name. Amen.